I want to uh, give just some words of introduction to the passage to help us understand uh, the book of Jonah just a little bit better. Uh, On Yom Kippur, which is the most solemn and holy day of the Jewish calendar, uh, the book of Jonah is traditionally read. And I was talking to uh, Gail Byers, who's a member of our church that is a Messianic Jew this past week, and she said it's true. We, We usually have a study on Jonah. Uh, on uh, that day in the afternoon when we gather at synagogue. But as worship, worshipers confess uh, their sins, as they fast and they reflect on the words of Moses and the law, they listen to a story so amazing that many today find it very hard to believe. Uh, of all the passages that could have been chosen for this holiest day of the Jewish year, the Day of Atonement, Um, someone started this tradition of studying Jonah. And there's uh, a good bit of of disagreement about why that is, some different opinions uh, that that you would study about this rebel prophet on this very holy day, a man who ran from God and His will. Some rabbis have uh, ideas that, uh, that this was all about repentance and that is certainly a theme of the Day of Atonement. Others have explained that Jonah is proof positive that no one can escape the presence of Almighty God. So we should all learn from Jonah's example. Uh, I have a little spider up here. (laughs) No, he's still there. Okay, just when you think you've you've seen it all, you have a spider come down on the pulpit while you're trying to read the Scripture. But finally, the clear message of Jonah, some say, is that God cares for all persons, uh, including the enemies, the enemies of God, and that certainly was true of the Ninevites. So this morning's reading is from Jonah 2, and it takes place in the belly of a great fish. I don't think there's any other passage of Scripture that was written in that kind of context. In fact, I don't think there was any Scripture written inside the belly of anything. Uh, except for the book of Jonah. And chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer. And um, many say it's impossible uh, for a man to be swallowed by a great fish and live for three days. But the real question is, are miracles possible? And as Christians, we believe they are, right? Uh, In fact, the greatest miracle the world has ever known was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I think if... uh, If God can raise His Son from the dead, He can surely keep a prophet alive in the belly of a fish for three days. But listen now to God's Word. Uh, You can read along silently on the screen from Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and He answered me. I called to you from the land, or from Sheol, the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple." I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates 
locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death as my life was slipping away. I remember the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. (coughs) Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and speak to us in these next moments. Come help my voice, Lord, that I may preach your word. Help us to hear it, to put aside all distractions, but to focus on you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever experienced total darkness? Have you ever been in a place where there was not even a speck of light? At 13, I was a member of the Boy Scouts, and I remember us, in fact, I'll never forget it, camping out overnight at Cumberland Caverns in Middle Tennessee. There were about 20 of us boys that wanted to be men. And uh, this was an intimidating uh, somewhat frightening experience. A lot of the guys had never been into something as vast as Cumberland Caverns. It's one of the largest cave systems in America. And when it came time to sleep, uh, Ronald Hall, who was our scoutmaster, told us, he said, boys, lights out. No flashlights. Well, in my cheap threadbare sleeping bag, I tried to fall asleep on the limestone floor of that cave, and it was one of the longest, most terrifying nights of my life. Every sound stirred my imagination to fear. Um, I heard a rat foraging in my backpack, eating up my snacks, and I thought there, there was something crawling on me all night long, but I couldn't see a thing. I couldn't even see the hand in front of my face because I was in the depths of the earth where there is no natural light. Have you ever been in a place of darkness? Not just literal darkness, but a place of spiritual, emotional darkness. Sometimes people refer to depression as a darkness, Uh, despair, uh, desperation, Uh, Anxiety can create darkness in a person's life. And if you're one of those persons, then maybe you'll find some encouragement from the message of Jonah. In verse 17 of chapter uh, 1, Jonah uh, is, is swallowed by a great fish. The Lord 
arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, the scripture says. And this immediately follows Jonah, as Scott told the children again this morning, Jonah's disobedience, his rebellion, his, his flight in the opposite direction uh, to which God had sent him, to go to Nineveh and to preach a message of repentance to a powerful enemy of Israel. The story reveals that God arranged or appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And this word uh, is also translated in ancient literature as commissioned. It's, it's a word that's used to describe what a ruler, a king might do in appointing an emissary or an ambassador, a diplomat. This great fish was God's appointed servant to deal with Jonah. And we find this, this word used again, as we'll see later on, in reference to the plant that God appointed arranged to rise up and provide shade for Jonah in the desert heat. But it's very clear from this passage that God is orchestrating the circumstances of Jonah's life for, for a reason, for a purpose. And that was to teach something about his mercy to Jonah personally, but also to, to teach a lesson about mercy for the nations of the world. I, I loved... Uh, the, the lyrics to that song that Mozart wrote um, about uh, Psalm 117 and the mercy of God extended to the nations. Jonah is about mercy for all people all over the world. And it's also about God being able to work things together for our good, as Romans 8.28 says in the New Testament. As, as the people of God, we always ought to have a backward glance. We always ought to be able to look back over our shoulder and, and see uh, in the, the steps of our journey with Christ, we ought to be able to see times when God took something that seemed evil or wrong or difficult and hard and used it for a greater good. This is God's nature. He's not the first cause of everything that happens in the world. He's not the first cause of, of injustice or racism or violence or poverty or hunger or starvation or a host of other evils in our world. But God is able to use those things, the scripture says, for a greater good. He is able to arrange our circumstances in such a way that even the hard things can become a kind of severe mercy. This is what Joseph said about his own life in Genesis chapter 50. Um, you know the story. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. Joseph was betrayed by his own family, sold into a slavery. And at the end of the story, when Joseph's brothers and their family members came to Egypt begging for food during a time of famine, Joseph was able to take care of them. But when the father died, when he was gone and out of the picture, the brothers became very panicky, worried that Joseph may take revenge given the, the depth of the betrayal that had taken place uh, so many years before. But Joseph says to them, in verse 20 of chapter 50 in Genesis, he says, what you meant for evil, God used for good. God used it for good. He said, all of you are saved during this great famine because you 
put me where I am today. Jonah's situation in the belly of the fish is one of these kinds of of severe mercies. And obviously the fish saved Jonah's life as he was sinking into the depths of the ocean about to drown. Uh, And yet that fish was also his prison for three days, which was instrumental in shaping his prayer, this psalm that we read in chapter 2. Out of a place of terror and darkness, Joseph, uh, Jonah cries out to God. And it happens in a setting where he can't see his hand in front of his face. His head is wrapped in seaweed. His body is covered with slime. Um, he is certain that he has gone to the place of the dead. He imagines that he is in Sheol. Verse 2 says that Jonah cries out to God in great trouble from the land of the dead. And he said, I called out to you, Lord, in this place of desperation, and you heard me. It is sometimes said that you never realize that God is is, uh, all you need until God is all you have. And that is certainly true with Jonah. He was brought to the very end of himself before he could recover an awareness of God's presence in his life. The normal normal place where we experience God's grace, where our lives are transformed, usually, listen to this now, usually is at the bottom. In fact, we talk about people not being ready for real change, for transformation, because they've not yet hit what? Rock bottom. Jonah obviously understands this. He says to God in verse 3, he says, You threw me into the ocean's depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. God is clearly the first cause of this situation. And Jonah understands it. But it is not simply being at the bottom of the, of the Mediterranean Sea in the belly of a great fish that, that changes the direction of Jonah's life. It's that Jonah, in the midst of this despair and desperation, cries out to God in prayer. And that is the definition of repentance. It is a turning away from something unto God. It is a 180 degree shift in focus and in direction. And, and this is the mystery of human nature in the ways of God, isn't it? We are most likely to seek God when we hit rock bottom. We see, receive a life-threatening diagnosis that we have cancer or something else that's going to kill us. And that's when people start thinking about what comes next. Am I ready to meet my maker? Uh, when a spouse leaves us, a marriage comes apart, um, a spouse dies or a child prematurely. All of these things that leave us alone, that leave us desperate. I have a tendency to refocus our attention upon things that are really important, upon the realities of God, of the spiritual life. We lose a job. Our finances um, are are destroyed. Our house is foreclosed upon. Our retirement is mismanaged. We could go on and on. These things are life-altering moments in which people hit rock bottom and turn to the ultimate 
reality of God Himself. In Matthew 12, Jesus uses the expression, the sign of Jonah, to refer to His own death. And the miracle of this sign is that a place that should have been a place of death, that was the definition of Calvary, of Golgotha, a place that should have been a place of death became a place of deliverance for all of us and for all who would believe in His name. Now, no one expects a man to survive inside a fish for three days, right? No one expects a man to live again after he's been crucified. One of the most horrific ways a person could die, be punished, uh, was developed by the Romans. And yet the central theme of the Christian faith that we recited in the Apostles' Creed earlier in this service is that Jesus was crucified, died and buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he did what? He rose again. God always has the last word in every circumstance of our lives. The great temptation that we face when things get hard is to run from God and to turn away from God in anger, as Jonah did. But for those who come to their senses and seek God with their whole heart, there is resurrection, there is new beginning, there is new life. Jonah prays, as my life was slipping away... I remember the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Uh, commentators believe this is really the climax of the prayer. Jonah looks towards the temple, uh, understanding that that was a place of mercy. In fact, there was a gold slab over the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments, that was called the Mercy Seat. And in Exodus, in the book of Exodus chapter 25... Uh, the people of God were promised an encounter with His mercy and His grace and His love and His reassurance at the mercy seat. That was where the priest went on their behalf to bring them back into fellowship with their God. On the Day of Atonement, a priest would sprinkle blood uh, of the atoning sacrifice of the sins of the people on that mercy seat as well. But here's the wonderful, amazing, uh, mind-blowing news. Is that that mercy seat is now in us. Christ is in us. The hope of glory. Now what happens to Jonah in the fish's belly is that he truly repents. He not only experiences desperation in his circumstances... Uh, he feels it in his soul. And so he awakens to this, this reality that we sing about in that invitation hymn, Just as I am without one plea. That is where Jonah is living, in the belly of that great fish. And so we too must come to the end of ourselves. We too must find ourselves at rock bottom many times in life. Uh, before we'll really turn to Him and plead for His mercy and grace and the freedom and deliverance that God gives. To repent, again, is to change directions. Jonah ran away from God's will to Tarshish, which represents his dis disobedience and rebellion. But when he repented, he turned and went where? To Nineveh, which we'll talk about next week. Now I want to close this message with a reading 
out of Ephesians chapter 1. This is my prayer for you. This is the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church at Ephesus. Listen to what he says. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. That is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Lord, we, we pray in these moments that, um, that those of us who are in a place of desperation, those of us who are feeling uh, some despair, who are depressed, who feel anxious and worried about their future, those of us who may be at rock bottom or sinking fast in that direction, that we will find in this moment a word of hope, of reassurance and consolation that you are a God of great mercy. And even for those who run, who run hard and fast, in the opposite direction of your will. You will meet us. You will find us in that dark place. In that place of the dead. And will offer us new life. Lord, if anyone here today has never confessed their faith in, in Jesus Christ. If anyone here today is needing to come home. To run home to Jesus. Then I pray they will do that as we sing this wonderful hymn just as I am. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.